worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. RJ Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized businesses and organizations by designing world-class strategic plans, but more importantly, help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. Very excited. We've launched our first book, Lost at CEO. On Amazon at launch, it was number one bestseller in 12 different categories. We've received incredible reviews on a consistent basis. And I encourage you to go to amazon.com to order and learn more. From that, we have our guest uh, we'd like to talk about today, uh, Dr. Kent Gustafson. He's a prize-winning writer, entrepreneur, and musician who has published hundreds of books and worked with thousands of authors on achieving their goals. He's also among many things, has been also a TEDx speaker. He's been featured on Entrepreneur and NPR. He's had a half a billion views across social media. That is no small amount, Ken. Welcome to the Measure Podcast. <laughs> nice to talk with you. Absolutely. Well, you and I have been connected multiple different times over the years. So what is your latest project? What, what are you fully into in right now? I'm pretty proud of my sunflowers. Is that what you're talking about? I've got these, I got about 15, no, actually more like 30 sunflowers in my in my backyard. That's what I'm most obsessed with. No, but I um I always have projects kind of in the hopper. I'm most excited the work I'm doing right now with uh, Thought Leader Press, where uh, we're doing basically ghostwriting, but kind of in a different way. So that's been really fun to be a part of. Okay, I want to go back to your link. You're the first person to say, sunflowers is is one of the things i'm most proud of so uh, how tall are these now you have i know you're in germany right now for those who are listening kent is a a well-traveled human being that's where you're currently residing but kent tell me about um how big are these and and doing feet for us u.s listeners who are are out here so you know uh, 62 63 feet no i'm kidding i um i'm about six seven so when I stand in the middle of them, I'm just taller than our sunflowers. So so the tallest, I guess, must be about two meters, maybe six six, something like that. So big old big old sunflowers. Wow, those are those are impressive. That is something to be uh, proud of. Okay, then we'll just go on there because um, I will tell you a little funny of of meter and feet story just for a minute. So my um, recently my oldest daughter completed the. Uh, Camino de Santiago. So the, the 500 uh, mile pilgrimage she did, I think it was 524 miles that she walked. And prior to going into it, she was reading the book of like, okay, well, we need to make sure we are climbing a certain amount of feet. And so she said, Hey, look, dad, I, I've done 1200 and, and the maximum is 1500. And by the way, she's a very smart person and is, but US based. 
I said, well, isn't that an M after the 1500? So it was for 1500 meters, not 50, 1500 feet, which of course is 4,500 feet approximately. And uh, yeah, they literally had to climb the Pyrenees on the first day, which she didn't quite understand that. Um, they did it, which was really impressive, but that was a um, sometimes not understanding the difference of metrics and conversions can run into it. Lots of challenges. All right. So let's, sorry, let, let's go back in, by the way, in, into your business. Ghostwriting. There's authors and then there's people who write the books. In general, how many authors actually fully write their books? Uh, like percentage wise, roughly. I'm just kind of curious from your perspective because I, I know it's maybe roughly five, five to seven percent, maybe. Uh, yeah. No, but I, but only to say that. I think there's a gradient there of uh, who's who's helping you. And that's what mm -hmm. I, I heard a great story from, what was his name, who wrote Angela's Ashes, a uh, great writer, Frank McCourt, who was uh, traveling around and he was speaking to us and he talked about his live-in editor. I'm pretty sure he did. Maybe I read about him somewhere. But for three years, basically, he had a live-in editor working with him. What's that called? <laughs> Uh, if that's not a ghostwriter, I don't know what is, but in our mind, there's this concept that a ghostwriter um, is the person that follows a politician around and then pretends to write their book and it's really not their own voice or something. And then there are those of us who have, you know, spouses or friends or, and, and so on who really help us and their, their edits. And so it's kind of hard to say what's a writer, what's an editor, what's a ghostwriter and all that. So I, I, uh, suffice to say, the way we ghostwrite is we help our clients write write their book with their mouth and then we you know we uh, kick them in various places so that they write a good book and a well-branded book so if i'm understanding correctly they're most likely verbally dictating speaking it out is that what you mean by that or almost help explain almost. that a little bit more dictating is such a horrible word so my father's a, a doctor a medical doctor so growing up it was always like and this is counterindicated. And then when you look at the rash in the upper right corner, and then they stop, they're like, there's three to four lacerations and there's this and that, and it's purple and blue and you know, they, they speed talk and that's dictating in my mind. So I would say no to the dictating, but yes to the concept. So what we're trying to figure out is how do you get John Coltrane to play good music? That's three minutes long. You had to bring the guy into the studio and say, this is a record. It's three minutes long. You can't go over this or Thelonious Monk even worse, right? So there were these people that said, well, how do we shrink your, your music down into three minutes? In a very similar way, we kind of put people into a session mindset, which is like, how do we get the best out of somebody within a certain setting? So in our case, you're doing that with me. You're shrinking my head into this, into this Zoom box. But it's a similar thing that we do with people's books. So let's say somebody's starting out for the first time. They, they've had this idea, like a lot of us, right? For years, we want to write a book. And let's say it's a, the, the first time author where they're going into this, but they're petrified by the concept of, is this going to work? Will people like it? And then this other part of, is it okay for me to use a ghostwriter, right? I know there's a few different big layers I put on top of that. But let's say the first time you run into somebody and they have this kind of they're, they're, they're afraid, right? Like a lot of, a lot of people who are putting art into the world. How do you give them that confidence that this is a good approach and a good way to help get their body of work out into the world? That was a loaded question. I said the, the, uh, I'll unpack it from the back, I guess, because the giving someone confidence is very difficult. 
so that uh, gets us dangerously close to the territory of coaching and coaching is its own beast so what we do instead is come at it from a strategic perspective which obviously you love that word i i think it's more exciting to see where that person can impact other people and they understand it better too the author understands where their impact is i mean you when you walk across a room you know if you've got the swagger that people are going to notice you you know if you wear a certain shirt that people are going to be shocked you know like you know you know there are certain things you know you also know in your business what has impact and with whom so if we get someone to write a book for a specific audience on a specific topic with something that is deeply meaningful to them then they have the confidence i would say to move forward with that it's less the convincing is the hard part and i, I don't like going into that sort of convincing space and so instead then kind of towards the beginning of your question everyone comes to us with the question is my book good enough mm. uh does anyone want to read it well yeah I, i'll answer that question right off the bat yes 100 <laughs> percent. your book is good enough and the way people speak is an evidence of that so if, if you're the person who sits in a room and there are people gathered around you listening to you at your feet or colleagues or whoever else then you should be writing a book because you what you have is valuable enough it's just then we have to defeat the gremlins and monsters that say you're supposed to write a certain kind of book because that mm. might be sort of a misperception in your own head uh, as an author you were mentioning beforehand, and I, I run into them frequently of, of people are saying, and especially after writing a first book, they want to help me write the second book, right? And and so there, there are people coming to me and, and offering, and there's so many different prices and there's so many different methods that are out there. And I had a good experience with, with my first approach, so I was very grateful from that. But what makes your approach different and unique perhaps from majority of people who are out there uh so go ghostwriters and editors i'll kind of lump them together they are kind of like therapists or for that matter like strategists so i'll lump you in too where you can put your thumb on the scale anywhere you want to as a strategist or a coach or a uh, ghostwriter or a therapist you just choose where not to so it's it's kind of i think that's um, more than price, I think what's most important is to what extent is that person going to put their uh, thumb on the scale? We put our thumb heavily on the scale. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, which is like, if you want to write a book that has no impact and like has your favorite title and your face on the cover, okay, interesting. Uh, maybe that's a good idea. Let's discuss it. <laughs> Let's talk about your target demographic. What would they like? What would change their lives, right? And so, so holding people's feet to the fire. Too often, let's say ghostwriters and editors are yes people, and they treat you as an author, as the client, and, and with they're good people, they're wonderful people, but they don't necessarily know how to say no to you when you have a bad idea. So that's, that's where we're a little different and we come at it from a strategic perspective. To start, when we founded the company, um, my business partner and I were opposites in some ways. Randy Baker is a business geek, brought a company to Wall Street, thinks from a business perspective, where's the money, all that stuff. My brain is saying, I hate this brand, I hate this brand. Ooh, that's nice, right? Trying to figure out where the, one of my clients says, uh, said to me that I'm like a word vulture. 
Like when something cool is on the ground, I'm like, oh, look at that over there. And I go grab it. We're looking for where the money is and where the good brand is. So no, that, that differentiates it, us a bit. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And because uh, you, you mentioned something fascinating of the other part of, you know, when we're creating our art, right, and our, and our great work that we want to do, we want to make sure it will resonate with the audience, right? That people actually will want to listen to. I think you said multiple times you said during this process, it's not necessarily about what I'm thinking directly, but it's about what our audience is thinking and how do we match our thoughts to be received in a way that's going to be captured the most. Now, I know that's different in different scenarios, but you clearly have a strategy to help get there. So what are the key strategies to help them open up to go, oh, that's different. I, I wasn't thinking that going into this to authoring a book. I named this with one of our clients just, I think, last week or the week before. She has chronic curiosity. So I think that's something that I have and Randy has and our company has, right? So it's this chronic curiosity. That's one side. The other side is the I or the various interviewers are, as the kids say, they're savage. Uh, it's a cool... <laughs> It's a funny term if, if you're not young i don't know go google it uh, it's interesting how kids are using the the words be savage but it's hold hold people's feet to the fire and and don't allow something to be boring i think more than anything that's that's kind of what drives me it has since i was a kid is like just what's we're, we're living one life why do something that's boring when people go through the process your your clients go through the process um what surprises them the most Good question. People always say good question when they're buying time. So I'm buying time. <laughs> I would say front end people want a book. It's kind of, a, it's an interesting uh, process because yeah, somebody wants to get a book done and they might be looking for a ghostwriter because they need a little help or they're looking for an editor or a publisher because they need some help. What we're finding most out the back end is that people are saying they've been transformed. So mm -hmm. words that are a lot like yeah, I mean, they're, they're branding and growth words. They're what you might expect from, you know, business strategy in your business. Um, and we're getting those same terms, I think partially because our team is, you know, in quotes, savage, uh, where it's like, what is actually your words? Don't, don't say authentic. Don't say alignment. Don't use all this garbage that everybody uses. I mean, you can use it in your daily life, but not in your book. So where are you different? You know, and that's, that's what we're always aiming for. It has been surprising for me, and I, I could just say this uh, to resonate, agree with what you're saying of just recently releasing our book, Boss the CEO, and it has changed my experience. I mean, it's been a complete different experience now that I'm an author versus not being an author. I, you know, I recently got sat at a table at a charitable banquet, and the CEO sat me down and introduced me everybody as the author right? That's a big change from it was in the past where I was just this business guy. And it is really fascinating, the difference between that. And then it's the best business card in the world. You know, instead of dropping off a, a card where if anybody even tracks cards anymore, right? A book, it, books, people feel a little bit bad about throwing one of those away. You know, uh, it's going to sit around for a little bit longer before it, it gets discarded. Hopefully they will read it, right? You know, through that process. And so that for me, I would agree, you know, has been a, a big surprise. And then it's also, I think, really, from once again, from my perspective, when you do finally get it out there, you now can talk in that language, whatever language you've 
decided on, right? Consistently I had one client who read and then how did you know me? And you'd only met me for two hours beforehand. Like they're, they're like, basically they, they, it, cause it resonated so much, you know, with their experiences. So anyway, I just want to agree with you. I think that is a big game changer when you get out about it. When, when people come to talk to you for the first time and say, I want to write a book and like, they're ready, like they're ready to buy, so to speak. Okay. So like they're ready to move forward and then they're published. How long is that total, the term cycle time in my language, but from beginning to end, how long does it typically take from they sign the contract to work with your team to actually getting published? So we're, we're fast in that. So one, one, uh, Randy and I are both kind of obsessed with time as much as money. So the, the time someone spends with us is a perceived amount of time. That's, that's a whole lot of time because it's once a week, a very, you know, an hour a week with, with us or the team, but it's only 10 to 14 weeks. So at the end of that time, a couple weeks later, they get their book and it's done. Right. So, and then if, if they're publishing, then it, you know, it takes another few weeks, whatever to get it, you know, polished up and, and out, but all told, you know, you're looking at three to six months from zero to, you know, if you're doing Amazon bestseller to a best-selling book or whatever. Um, so very, very quick cycle time in terms of the reason that that's possible is that we are obsessed with ideas and we, we go in very quickly to grab the ideas. Once you have the ideas, everything else makes sense. So I love your title, Lost at CEO, right? Great, great title. The second you have a concept like that, everything else can line up underneath it. I mean, there are other ways to, to go at getting a book, but that's a beautiful one, which is like, I get it, I love it. How do we finish it? How do we create it? So that's, that's, we do a similar thing where we're grabbing it and then it's like, oh, easy. Now we line up the pieces um, um, and it's a matter of a couple months, a few months. Great. And, and, and for myself experience where mine took about two and a half years, um, that's, that's exciting to realize. Now, one of the things I ran into was this, and I literally ended up changing a book and I set one down. I actually wrote a book, did not publish it and rewrote this because I, the first one didn't feel right. It just, it wasn't, it was the traditional book. Here's the seven ways of doing strategy better, basically, right? Called the seven Sons of success. Actually, that's, that's what we had um, had prepared, actually got away there to cover, but they just didn't feel right. And, mm -hmm. and so almost took three to, you know, gosh, probably six plus months off, rewrote, held a new one. From once again, I'm just using my own personal experience. I ran into this, oh crap, it's not the right book. And then I changed. And so, so I had to redo the process, frankly, all over again. Interestingly enough, that process was much faster. That was closer to a six month process, you know, from, from beginning and once I actually figured it out. So how do you try to avoid that, oh crap moment for a potential author? Because there is fear still, I go, still go back to that, regardless if it's the greatest thing in the world, the worst thing in the world, there's still fear of getting your hour out in the world. How do you how do you nip that at the bud along the way so you're giving confidence factors so they know and have confidence? I I know confidence once again it says something different, but I just you're checking the right boxes if you may and giving the right creative steps so they feel it's complete. I would say, in our current world, we we have a gradient, and this is similar in podcasting too. But there's a gradient between. On one side of the spectrum, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, 
On the other side of the spectrum, you got Malcolm Gladwell, or a professor, an academic. And in that whole spectrum, you've got all kinds of different things. If you are a college professor, and you have a tenure coming up, and you need to publish a book at a certain level with certain peer reviews and so on, then you absolutely should watch what you're doing <laughs> and watch your steps and be careful and all that. On the flip side, if you are like Gary V and you have a mad audience just waiting for content like like sharks, <laughs> you know, then that's a different situation. Um, I would say most books are should be written for a small audience. What what does that mean? That means don't write your magnum opus. Not not that you're I think either one of your books would have been great. But I think that most people get stuck because they think they have to write the perfect book. And what I say is then lean a little bit more towards the Gary V route and just write a bunch of books. So one of my clients years ago said, I just want to crap out a book. It was awful. I hate that term. <laughs> but I mean, some of that mindset, why not? You know, um, books are like anything else. Why not write multiple? And so getting yourself out of the feeling like this has to be perfect. Um, have you picked up any business books lately? Most of them suck. So you can say my book could suck or be a little better and then you're already winning. <laughs> okay, so now there's this, uh, there's a bunch of different data right on I, I've seen, um, but in general, a new published book, the average is 250 total books. That's the average. Of and sales. it's frank, yeah, it's total sales, right? And 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 it's, closer to a hundred actually if you take the median i've, I've heard fortunately for us we're, we're, we're past those numbers so i if you know but what's interesting is it's not common to sell in the tens of thousands right i mean there, when there's tens of thousands of books being published consistently do you help authors with under i i loved it how you said focus on the small audience and try to get get it to them because i think that's part of the win right knowing who your audience is so you it doesn't matter whether a billion people read it. What matters is the thousand people you need to read it, get it. How do you help them with, or do you go through them with those, those facts, those comments, those concerns about that reality? Cause I think it's like one of those, unless you look it up, I don't think many authors are aware of it until afterwards they go, Oh my gosh, I've only sold 37 copies, which I've run into somebody who had that experience. I'll still, I'll start by stealing Randy, uh, my business partner, Randy Baker, co-founder, I should say, um, he, his book, before we started uh, this company, his book has made him like 400 grand return. He sold like 100 copies. It might be more now, it might be 200. What is the point of a book? In his case, it was very specific. It was strategy, strategic work with companies. Then why do you want to sell a thousand? Who cares? Put one into the hand of someone, look him in the eye, uh, sign it for him. It's invaluable. We have We have another client who worked with us and you know brings his copy uh, on the train to him to the Pentagon or the White House. What's it worth for him to have these these concepts and these you know he needs to give away two copies <laughs> like you know if he has a contract it's like a two million dollar contract. So it's it's other people who are trying to build a following more on that Gary V side. Well, how do you get more copies out there? Uh, but then for me, it's not about the book. Uh, it's about what does your following look like? What does your community look like? What are you doing to engage them? Why should they care? How are you benefiting them? 
and generally, I mean, really 99.9999% of people should not be looking at tribe building because you're not famous. Um, getting famous takes a lot of resources. So make the resources and then it's easy to get famous. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that is really wise advice there of, of, um, there's another book out there. It's called the million dollar book. I think it is. And, and that's exactly for that concept is it's, not about selling a million copies. It's about it, once again, helping your branding, helping your concept, helping be the best way to help people understand of the value you bring to the world. And so they may want to hire your, your product or services, you know, to help get towards it. And I, I think, once again, using Randy's examples, I think that's that's Randy's specific example. Of, hey, this one book created me $400,000. That's compelling, right? You know, to help move forward some of them like that. So how do you measure success with your clients? So I, measuring success is a, I mean, it's a loaded, <laughs> it's a loaded concept in so many ways. I think for me, measuring su success is taking layers of varnish off, right? So, so that you can really see if, if there's success or not. So perceived success is different than real success. Like are, are our clients happy? Will they be happier after we work with them? Great. That's one measure. <laughs> Our clients come through the front door thinking that they're going to get a book. They go out the back door building a million dollar business when they used to have a small vision. Again, great success. So I guess long, you know, short answer to your question is we're looking for the, the mindset shift, the transformation. And when that happens, it's, it's magical. And people make significant life changes based on our work with them. And that's, that's pretty inspiring. All right, so you have done so many different things throughout your career. I'm curious for you, what habits do you consistently do to help keep yourself going, right? So you can continue to deliver great work on a consistent basis. You're wanting me to talk about the sunflowers again. That's good. I, uh, <laughs> I think so. That clearly is starting from the beginning. That clearly must be a therapy that's helping you out. Yeah. So I, I uh, one a cool thing about living in in Europe is um, it's a bicycle society, or at least this part of it is. Um, so uh, every road is bicycle friendly. So I just bike everywhere. I just don't use a car. Um, I like the environment too and all that, but honestly, I just love being able to exercise to get somewhere instead of driving. It's kind of cool. So there's that uh, it helps my mind actually also helps me feel like I'm one of the folks, right? So if I pull up at the grocery store with my bike to get some stuff, there are all kinds of different people uh, that you meet and run into that you, you wouldn't if you're in the parking lot. So very interesting. And then otherwise my garden, and I never really was a gardener, um, but we we rent a place and it, it had a garden, a big old, I guess 30 feet by 30 feet, a big, big plot. And I just said, okay, let's try this out. And just, yeah, it's been really exciting to discover how stuff comes from nothing. There's a magic to putting a seed in the ground and there's, it just is magical. It's a beautiful thing. But, you know, when I'm in the creative industry, pulling ideas seemingly out of nowhere with people, there's a, there's an analog to that. Like you just throw stuff in the ground and it pops up as, as food. <laughs> it's great. So that's my therapy in a way. Really cool. So as you have, you know, where you're currently at right now from a, from a business perspective, but on the personal side, you know, what, what 
you said something there I think is pretty profound, but what what brings you the most joy now outside of business, if that makes sense? You know, what what's kind of keeps you going? Music, are you still actively performing? What what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, music is always, I mean, it, uh, music's a first love for me. So it's always a simmering career for me and always has been. So it's, um, it's also a way that, I mean, you asked about our approach. I think a lot of it comes from my creative, my creative side, my PhD in music and the way I was taught to ask people questions or the way I was taught to improvise or the way I was taught to come to a session, you know. So I'm still an active musician, always will be. And more importantly, I kind of see everything as improvisation, everything as music. But in terms of my, my time off, I think it's definitely more my hands are in the dirt. Um, but I do love to sit around and play music, yeah, depending on the day. That's awesome. So how are you now, when you, when you kind of reflect upon your own life, how, how are you measuring success in your personal life? It's a good question. I got to buy time on that one too. I think I I was kind of coded as a as a kid to think bigger. So my my dad is a uh, was a developmental pediatrician, but also a neonatologist and saved thousands of kids' lives. I mean, I don't know how many. Uh, my mother was a is a poet um, and was a therapist for decades and helped people. So I have this this thing in me that I want to help more and more people. And I think personal and professional life, I think I'm close, you know, feel closer all the time to where I can help more people. And that that just kind of feels that's that's what drives me, I'd say. So the closer I get to that, the better I feel I'll use that word aligned to that authentic, authentic vision. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. It, it is always, it's, it's always interesting when our guests answer that question, because often we don't think about it, right? You know, we don't, we don't, we, we think about our business and our doing side on a consistent basis, but we don't think about the being side, who we are. Uh, w- one of the recent definitions we, we recently will be released here, um, will, will be released at the time of this podcast gets released is a Stephen M. R. Covey. And we talked about the concept of being and doing side and, you know, your doing side is, is, what we see in the world it's how you accomplish things and and it's uh if you may it's the number of books and and authors that get excited right by the results and creative art but the being side is i I, the way i like to define it now is it's how many people show up to your funeral you know it's 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 your real impact on people's lives because unfortunately i've been to a lot of funerals lately and people do not talk about your vocation they talk about the difference you made in their life right and and so I think it's that's why I like to ask this doing side and being side to reflect of, hey, as we're going along our journey to make a difference in the world was an authentic difference. Right. Were they were they able to and sometimes people can't always answer and sometimes they can't even show up, so to speak, but that, you know, that you've made that impact to them and it's, and it's real. So uh, anyways, thank you for providing that insight. All right. So not one of your own books, but what is a book that either you recently read or perhaps is just one of your favorites that you want to recommend to our audience. Uh, interesting. Well, I feel I feel obligated. One of our clients put out a book, I guess a couple of months ago, called uh, Leverage, which is a great one because he talks about leveraging the the people in your life. It's a it's a great book for people who are in career career change. But in terms of the book, I've always 
Given Others is a book by Khalil Gibran called The Prophet. And I love little books like that because they're so unexpected. And that one is surprising. And the other one is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think you can always uncover the universe again through that book because it's it's got it's absurd yeah so like there's something in there like if you in the hitchhiker's guide within the book uh something like flying is easy you just fall and miss the ground you know like this just absurd it makes total sense though like oh i okay i understand <laughs> so literature that challenges you that's that's what i usually like and that's the prophet and hitchhiker's guide are good examples of that both great recommendations. Okay, well, how can can people connect and learn more about you? I don't have that much out there that people can learn about. You can you can find my TEDx talk. It's got my story with my with my dad in there. It's a I think it's moving. Um, I'll pay you back for the seventeen minutes of your time if you want to listen to it. The uh, actually I'll pay you back directly. You can go to talk to Kent. Dot com and you can just book a time if you're interested in talking about uh, your book project anything like that those are the easiest places or you could listen to my music take it or leave it it's been a decade since i was really active but hopefully that'll get reactivated at some point here okay it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the measure test podcast today it's been really fun thanks and to everyone else who's listening as we always like to say Wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.